This is Lost or Found with Dr. Michelle Choi, the podcast where we think about what can be possible in our lives. And now, Dr. Michelle Choi. Hi, thanks for tuning in to Lost or Found. It's going to be a fun show as we talk about empaths. My father has moved to Korea. He had moved to California right before the pandemic and had been about seven hours away by driving. And due to his own life happenings, he decided to move to Korea with his wife. Although seven hours driving isn't really close, the distance felt closer than New York or Hawaii. My kids were getting to know him. My daughter likes talking with him. My son and daughter love the fact that whenever we see Haraboji, he buys them something that they want. And perhaps our relationship was becoming less strange as well. Right after college, I didn't speak to him for eight years. But as an adult, he became the parent that didn't bother me, the one that didn't cause trouble in my life. He was the parent who accepted my family. I was thankful for neutrality. One of the nicest things that he did for me was the time I told him that I didn't want to be a doctor working in our healthcare system anymore and he didn't say anything. I'm not sure if he agreed with me. I don't think he necessarily disagreed with me, but it was one of the nicest things that he could have done. He didn't tell me his concerns or relay his opinions. Growing up, achievement was a way in which to win favor, and if you didn't get there, well, you weren't accepted. Achievement is a tricky thing. There are many moments, big and small, in which to achieve. And well, sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. My parents were lazy tiger parents, but they still expected, and there were many times I felt inadequate. Right after we got back from the East Coast, my father and brother drove up north to drop off a few things from his house. His wife has already left the country. Their visit was pleasant, and it was very short. The kids love seeing him, and they love seeing their uncle. My relationship with my father usually feels a little uncomfortable, but there was a certain ease to this visit. I felt like I liked my father. I didn't feel the strain that I normally do. There were times when I laughed with him. He fixed my fountain, which has laid dormant for many years, as I couldn't figure out how to fix it. There's such a lovely sound now that fills our backyard. My kids love the fountain. The birds bathe in the fountain. My father was shocked by how much cooler the nights are in Santa Cruz, as opposed to Irvine, where it's about 10 degrees warmer always. He appreciated the family dinner that we had outside, all nine of us around the same table. Note to self, buy an extra table. The kids wouldn't sit at the kiddie table. It was tight. He enjoyed the ambience of our backyard dinner, the company, the food, the Christmas lights that I have up year-round. We had a fire going in the fire pit. He sat with Rose on his right and William on his left as he took turns handing them a marshmallow so that they could roast them on their stick. Then he would hand them the Hershey's chocolate and then the graham cracker. It seemed constant. I believe Rose ate like five and William ate seven s'mores. Maybe it's different with grandkids, or maybe it's different as a grandfather than father. As a grandfather, I feel like he really enjoys seeing how they just are. 
When my brother and I were younger, we didn't necessarily have the freedom to be who we are. There were expectations. But as a parent now, I wonder if this is the truth. For a child to be free to be who they are, there needs to be a lot of support from the parent. A child can't just be free. You need good parents there so that the child can feel safe to be free to be. During our family dinner, my cousin asked my father some questions. There were answers that I didn't know. My father's dad had died suddenly when he was 14 years old. Sometimes I wonder if that's around the age where fatherhood became most confusing for him because he lost his father then. And his dad's death impacted all of his siblings differently. His younger sister still seems lost. His younger brother never finished school. I had always thought that my father had matched into a U.S. residency first before coming to the U.S., but apparently he came under his mother's visa. He was jobless, couldn't really speak English, had a young family with two kids. He came to the U.S. with $1,000 in his pocket and didn't have more than that. Apparently, we really loved American cereal, and he quickly realized how expensive food was. He told us that he was planning to work at a gas station when a spot for an internal medicine residency opened up in the middle of winter. In Korea, he was trained as a surgeon. When my father spent long hours in the hospital, I remember my mother laying down or sleeping for long periods of time. In retrospect, it makes sense to me now that she was really depressed. I remember that in the apartment in which we lived, there was a huge cockroach problem. And there was one time where all these black cockroaches were climbing up a white wall, and my brother and I just stared. It was a very short trip, but I was thankful to my father that we could share a nice moment. Despite what became our past, we were all present for a positive moment together. I'm not sure how many times I'll be able to visit him in Korea. But as silly as this may sound, I'm thankful that he gave me a positive memory to remember in my life. A moment where I liked being with him. On the day that my father left, I was tucking my son into his bed and he said, I miss them. I asked William, who is them? And he said, Harabuji and my uncle. I find today's topic on the empath very relevant to our health. Empaths are highly sensitive individuals And these are people who have the ability to understand the experiences and feelings of others. It can be like a superpower, but without boundaries, it can also feel like a draining curse. These are some signs that indicate you're an empath. You may have noticed that you're deeply tuned in to the feelings of others around you. You can get overwhelmed in big crowds. Seeing something really sad on TV can overpower you. You may feel like you're easily sensory overloaded. You may feel fine before you talk with someone, then you talk with that someone, and it's like you feel and absorb their pain, stress, and anxiety. I didn't realize that I was an empath until I realized that I was an empath, meaning theoretically that idea clicked, but it didn't register with me that I could be one until much later. Life is already really complicated. We have a lot of our own stuff that we have to deal with. But if we take on the stuff of others and we don't have to, then why are we doing it? I saw this a lot in the medical setting. 
I wonder if a lot of doctors and nurses are empaths. I could tell which patients were empaths. And when an empath isn't aware and careful of their boundaries and they don't protect themselves, we can feel like we're drowning and, well, we could really be drowning. Empaths are natural healers of the world. We naturally want to make things better. And maybe that's why certain people who are not always necessarily good are attracted to us. On episode 21, Lisa Campion talks about the last category of energy vampires. When an empath continually denies themselves and they don't take care of themselves, we too can become energy vampires due to self-neglect. It's one thing to drown from your own crap, but if you're drowning from other people's crap, that just doesn't make any sense. How can we really help anyone if we don't help ourselves first? Maintaining health takes energy, and it responds to energy. And if you're always feeling depleted, what are you going to heal? Samantha Fay is on the show today as we continue the discussion on empaths. She is the host of two podcasts, Psychic Teachers and Enlightened Empaths. She is an intuitive and a Reiki master, and her podcast, Psychic Teachers, was actually the first podcast I've ever listened to. I started listening to her show when I was working in the hospital. I was at a point in my life where I always felt exhausted, and perhaps I was also looking for more meaning in my life. It was with her where I learned about empaths, and I started to wonder if there could be more to life than what we just see. Granted, this also led me to my midlife crisis, but I'm relaying this information to you, smiling and laughing on the inside. Thank you so much for being here, Samantha Faye. I'm such a huge fan and welcome to Lost or Found. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here as well. <laughs> and before we begin, can you tell us about yourself? Sure. So my name is Samantha Faye. I host two podcasts, Psychic Teachers and Enlightened Empaths. And I started out my intuitive journey um, about Oh gosh, over 15 years ago now. And I teach classes on how to be intuitive, how to open up to your mediumship, how to work with crystals. I'm a Reiki master, uh, freelance writer, and um, I have a book coming out next year on discovering where our soul goes when we dream. Oh, how beautiful. So, I love yeah, that. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And I just wanted to say, you've been one of my teachers on my path, and you were actually the first podcast I ever listened to, Psychic Teachers. So thank you for helping to be part of my awakening. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. That that makes me feel so happy. That's why, that's why <laughs> Deb and I did it, you know, because when we first started out, there just weren't a lot of resources out there for uh, people... I don't know how to put this into polite words, but I felt like whenever I went to spiritual resources, it was all one-sided. Like everything is love and light and there is no negative and there is no, you know, darkness and there is, you know, and, and I don't know. I just didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't know how to reconcile this. You know, I, I'm a Catholic. I'm a, I, I was, I'm a mom at the time I had really little kids. So I was in a rosary making group. I was in a prayer group and I was going to these intuitive development classes who were like, no, no, like anything Christian is bad. And 
I don't know. I just didn't feel like, where do I fit in? Because I didn't fit in with, you know, the Catholic moms anymore as much as I'm like reading Tarot and studying crystals. But I didn't feel like I fit in with the spiritual people either. And so I met my friend Deb, who is a practicing pagan. And despite our faith differences, we just totally saw eye to eye on trying to find common ground where you can be a normal grounded person and still have your traditional faith and still be into weird woo-woo stuff. So that's how we started the podcast. (laughs) As I'm a doctor who loves crystals now because of you. (laughs) Oh, I love it. But, you know, I really think with your podcast and your teaching, I think, you know, all of us have periods in our life where we start to wonder. And I think sometimes the way life is traditionally, you know, we were almost taught to put that away underneath the rug or think about it. And I think your both of your podcasts help people to think about it. So I just wanted to thank you for being part of my journey. <laughs> thank you, Michelle. I appreciate that. And may I ask you as we begin, do you think are empaths basically people with a lot of empathy? Yes, yes, I do think that that is what it is. I think that empaths tend to be more um, open to energy. They can they can read the mood of a room, of a situation, of people. Empaths, it's it's a lovely way to go through life, but it can be a challenging way to go through life because we tend to have this innate built-in lie detector. So if we walk up to someone and we say, hey, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? Like we can see behind that. And often as an empath, you'll say to the person, are you sure? Like, do you need to talk? I'm here. And they're like, no, everything's fine. And and so it can be really difficult because we we see what's beneath the facade that, that we all put up throughout life. And yet um, there's, a, there's a beauty to being an empath. You know, there's, there's a real beauty to it because we do see and feel and sense all those hidden emotions. And so it gives more of an authenticity to our life experience. And I just think it's important for empaths to find like-minded empaths, you know, so that we can, we can find friends who get it and understand what we're talking about. Definitely. And I think to know what to do with it, because I think it's really beautiful that you can see beyond someone, you know, beyond someone's like a superficial, you know, this and see what they're feeling. But I think also it's sometimes very difficult to be an empath because we also take on that emotion or how things feel physically for that person. And I think sometimes that's the point where as, the, as an empath, if you don't know what that is, you go too far. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I'm not like a super big fan of labels. And yet, it's so comforting when we can go, oh, that's what I am. That's why I feel this way. And also, if you don't know you're an empath, and people have described you as sensitive or moody, you might believe that when really, it's not, that's not it. It's just, um, if if you picture like a a magic eraser, you know, (laughs) when you clean your house, and you get that magic eraser home and it's all perfect and clean and then you scrub your kitchen counters and what happens to that magic eraser it's gray it's you know it's dirty it's all muddled up and you got to wash it that's how we empaths are we go through life and and we just absorb everyone else's emotions and if we don't understand that this is what we're doing then we think those emotions are all ours so if we've got an angry boss and we come home from work and we're kind of angry 
we think that's us. That's our anger. And maybe, you know, maybe a lot of the times it is. It's hard to work with an angry boss. But if you're, if you're an empath, a lot of the times it's just going to be you pulling in that boss's angry energy. And so once you have that label, that name, like, oh, this is what I am, then you know, okay, I need to disconnect from energy. I need to learn how to work with energy. I need to learn how to put up uh, energetic psychic boundaries so that I don't take on all that stuff. So there's a lot of good things once you know that you are. I love that example that you gave of the magic eraser because like a magic eraser like does great stuff and it takes on stuff, like takes on the dirt, right? Which yeah. could be good and bad. Yeah. But it also dwindles. Like if you keep on using the magic eraser, eventually you're going to have none of it. And I think as an empath, you know, before you realize this could be a gift, you know, you have to think about maybe to recognizing it and taking care of yourself so that you don't lose all of your magic eraser. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's why you have to learn how to set those boundaries and how to say no. And that's really hard for an empath, but we can't show up for everyone, you know? And I know in in my life, I've had to set really firm priorities, you know, like for me, all that matters in my life are my children. So they come first, right? And, And everything else is second. And then, and then I go, okay, well, what's the second most important thing in my life? You know, and then I, I have to prioritize down, 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 down that way. So that when, you know, a friend calls me and says, can you pick me up from uh, the mechanics at five o'clock? Hell yes, I'm going to be there and, and, and show up for her. Right. But if, if a friend from church says, you know, can you volunteer for four hours at this luncheon on Saturday? I might say, no, actually I can't do that. So learning to prioritize your time and set boundaries is so crucial or else you're going to wear yourself out. Definitely. May I ask you, when did you realize when that you were an empath? Oh, not till fairly recently. I mean, I, I went through most of my life as a kid. Um, my family always called me the sensitive one. Um, and they would always say, oh, she's just sensitive. Or if I got upset at something, you know, Samantha, you're just so sensitive. Um, when I got into high school, they they called me the bullshit caller because I would call. Oh, am I allowed to say that? That's kind <laughs> of good, though. <laughs> I curse a lot as an Asian okay, <laughs> English sorry. second language. Um, I just would always call people out on their stuff, you know. But I didn't understand really that I was an empath. I don't think it was until I learned healing and energy. I don't think it was until I got into Reiki and understood that energy is an actual thing. I I know that sounds stupid, especially considering your background. I know energy is real, but I mean, in terms of being able to feel it and sense it and carry it and wear it, I really didn't understand that until I started working through Reiki on other people's energy. And then I realized, oh, like all this stuff is just me picking up on everyone. And I also... I also always believed everyone else went through life like that too. And I remember I would be so surprised when people, you know, just wouldn't understand someone at their core or they wouldn't, you know, like if if a friend and I went over to a friend's house and I could sense she had just had an argument with her spouse and there was a lot of tension in the room, but my friend couldn't, I I would be like, what? You didn't see the the eyes darting between each other. You didn't, you know, they, they miss all that. And I just, it took me a long time to figure all that out. Yeah. And I think you bring up so many important points, even like energy. We know it exists, but, you know, we live in a culture where we don't believe 
things that we can't really like prove or see. You know, right. if it's something beyond the eye, it's the culture where we poo-poo it, you know, mm-hmm. when it does exist, the interaction exists, the communication, that's all energy. And I totally agree with what you're saying with like sensitive. It's such a negative word, you know, or our culture makes it so negative that it's like a bad thing to be sensitive. And it's hard it, like growing up when you're feeling stuff. All the time. I know. And the other word I um, I was always called as a kid was um, imaginative. So anytime anything would happen with me in terms of psychic stuff or seeing ghosts or um, having weird dreams, my parents would always say, oh, you have such a big imagination. And I really believed that for the longest time. You know, I love to write and draw. And I just thought, oh, I guess this all is my imagination. And so those two words, I would like to redefine in some way for people because I don't think everything we imagine is fake or whatever word you want to associate with our traditional definition of imagination. And I don't think being sensitive is a bad thing. Now, someone who can't take constructive criticism, that's being sensitive. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people who um, people who ask you for your advice and then you give it and then they don't like it, that's being sensitive. I mean, there are aspects to being sensitive that aren't really great or super healthy. But in the way that you and I are talking about, I think sensitivity is a really good thing. That's so true. And I think like it's really hard when I feel like we're almost raised to be the same, but maybe being different is actually a blessing. And there's different gifts that we have by being different and embracing the fact that we're different. Yeah. And, you know, embracing the individual instead of being the same. And I think that's why so many of us have midlife crises at a certain point in our our lives, if you allow it, like I am. But anyway. (laughs) No, I think that's really, really true. I mean, one of my closest friends is uh, nowhere near empathic or intuitive or into this at all. And I treasure her and I treasure our friendship because she grounds me in many ways. And yet, like when I talk to my intuitive empathic friends, sometimes, you know, they'll be like, did you feel the moon's energy last night? And I'm like, no, no, I was watching TV (laughs) folding laundry. I didn't feel anything. And so sometimes that can get a little too much too. So it's nice to have that balance. I think just in your own interpersonal life, you know, I think if I had all intuitive empathic healer friends, I, 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 that would not be good. We need that balance. And do you think it's an aspect of like, knowing when to like open your gates and not and like yeah do you know what I mean like yes I do I do I remember when I was first starting to work with uh, my chakras and the one of the teachers said to always keep your chakras open so you're open all the time that's not good advice (laughs) and then I took a class with um another intuitive who said keep your root chakra and your crown chakra open so that the energy Mm -hmm. flows that makes a lot of sense to me. But for me, that did not work. I was feeling too much. So I had to learn how to turn it on and, and turn it off um, with everything, you know? So there are, I, I, I'm not a scheduled person by nature, but I've made myself a scheduled person. And so I, I have days where I will meditate and do yoga and do Reiki and, you know, do all the spiritual stuff. And then I have days where I don't do any of that, you know, like on the weekends, especially it's just all about my family 
and um, mowing the lawn. <laughs> I think that's a really good advice because sometimes we have to know what's when it's when it's enough, you know, to kind of function too. Yeah. Because we yeah. all function differently and to know when it is enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, can we discuss some of the qualities of an empath? Sure. So you mean like um like how to tell if you're an empath? Mm-hmm. Like signs of an empath. Signs of an empath. Okay. Most empaths uh, do not like being in crowds. They get overwhelmed when they're like in large groups. I mean, they can handle a concert or whatnot. I'm not saying they're like agoraphobic, but but most of the time, if we have a choice between going to dinner with one or two friends or going to a party with 40 people, we're going to pick the one-on-one dinner. Um, most empaths really need a lot of alone time to recharge their batteries. They they need that. Um, my kids call it their social battery. And they'll say, uh, like my daughter just came back from like a 24-hour marathon sleepover. And she said, I need a day alone to recharge my social battery. And so that's a very empathic thing to say. Um, most empaths tend to have really open giving hearts and they tend to um, carry people's emotions with them. So if they're talking to a friend and the friend is really sad or upset, the empath will think about that and and pray for that friend and reach out to them more so than the average person. If they hear that a neighbor has come down with the flu, it's the empath who's going to make the casserole and bring it up. You know, they're just always thinking and feeling and showing up for other people. Um, they, if they don't know they're an empath, they can feel moody and and fluctuate in their energy and wonder like, why was I so happy this morning? And then today, you know, nothing huge has happened, and yet I feel so down or tired or sad or angry. And so, until they understand how to work with that empathic energy, they might have fluctuating moods. Um, they need a lot of time in nature. It's another great way that they recharge their batteries. And empaths are natural healers. So it's important, I think, for them to understand that and find a modality that works for them. Uh, For me, it's working with crystals and Reiki, but for someone else, it might be healing touch or massage or acupuncture or essential oils. But I think finding an expression for that natural flow of healing energy, um, like being a doctor, Mm -hmm. (laughs) is going to be really, really important. Um, They also tend to be very connected to animals and feel very strongly with um, you know, how, how much animals tend to suffer in life. And so they might have a lot of pets or they might be connected to a rescue group. Um, so there's just, I hope that answers your question briefly. I mean, there's so many, there's so many different types of empaths as well. You can be a physical empath and they, they will take things on physically and they, they will often, um, have, it's called empathetic or sympathetic pain symptoms. If they're working on someone You can be an emotional empath, which is what I think a lot of us are, where they take on the emotions of others. There's an animal empath. So there's many different types of of empathy. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Like I learned about the word empath on your show and it took a couple of shows to realize myself that I was the empath because I had never heard the word before. But even in the hospital, I realized like when I was working in the hospital and seeing patients, I could never close the door because when I closed the door, like I would feel things more and almost to the point of anxiety. And I had no idea what that was, but it was That's something that I had. Like when you were going to visit a patient, you would leave the door open. 
I would always leave the door open. Some doctors would close the door, but I would notice like after a couple of minutes in the in, in the patient's room, I would start feeling like really overwhelmed. And I thought it was claustrophobia each time, even though the room itself was huge, you know, and there's right. only one patient per room, but I could never close the door. That is so interesting. Wow. And so when you would come home from work, would you think about your patients and kind of go over it? Or would you wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I've got to check on so-and-so? Well, I, I I think that was one of my problems with working in the hospital because I could never turn my brain off. Like I would always think about those cases, but I would come home also really depleted. And, you know, like I heard with empaths, sometimes it's helpful to like take a shower and wash it away. But, you know, as an Asian immigrant, I didn't always take a shower unless I was like working nights, you know, during COVID, you take showers every day. But like, you know, then I didn't and I always felt so drained and I thought it was the work, but I didn't realize it was like the work in me. Right. Right. I know that can be so hard. And that's why uh, taking a shower after work is really good. Taking your shoes off in the garage or, you know, right outside your front door to symbolically leave that day behind. Um, or just, I love to tell people, just put all your fingertips together and like, you could say the patient's name or whoever's on your mind and say, I disconnect from so-and-so's energy and then just shake it out. Just anything to symbolically say, like, I'm leaving this energy there where it belongs and not taking it with you. But, but that's, I just think working in a, in a hospital environment, that's, that's an intense energy and there's no windows. We empaths need windows. They're, everything's static, like everything is just stuck there. And sometimes nowadays you see so many patients that you don't know who it is. It's kind of like almost like a cumulative effect. There could be something really bad that happens, but it's such a blur in a way. Sometimes it's very hard to make that distinction. And then you become a part of them. They become a part of you. It's, you know, right. it's something to be very aware of. And you helped me to become very aware of that. You know? Oh, thank you. I thought it was really interesting, too, that, you know, it makes sense that a lot of empaths experience anxiety and depression. And I didn't realize that, you know, it makes sense, but they are also prone to addiction because I would imagine because of that anxiety and depression when you can't differentiate what's yours and what's someone else's or cumulative effect. Yeah, yeah. Well, empaths also tend to take everything on as their fault. And in addition to that, they don't really want to take the time to work on themselves. And that's not coming out right. What I mean is an empath is much more comfortable helping others. You know, if you need help, the empath is there. But if the empath needs help, you know, it reminds me there's that Robin Williams quote that always makes me cry where he says, ah, but who makes the clown laugh? You know, when he was talking about his own depression and I thought, oh, that's so sad. I miss that man so much. But, um, you know, it's true. Like you could apply that to empaths. Who's going to heal the empath? So I think it's so, it is. And so empaths have to work on really honoring themselves and, and take that time to go within and face their innermost fears and doubts and worries and insecurities. And if not, you're just going to keep masking it. Um, and it can be with addictions and look, addiction doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol or nicotine. You know, I mean, gosh, there are people, God bless them. I'm jealous of them who are addicted to exercise. I wish I could be addicted to exercise for five minutes. 
<laughs> I go to the gym. I go to the gym now for like 30 minutes. And, and my daughter's like, Ma, we can do 15 more minutes. And I'm like, really, can we? But there are people who find addictions with exercise. And I think that's, you know, that's one thing. Um, you can find addictions just with distractions or avoidance. That's something I'm really starting to notice about myself. Like if I'm- The modern addiction, the phone and the computer. Yes, yes. And that stupid weekly report that comes up on your phone that says your screen time was up from last week. I'm like, shut up. So I'm trying really hard to work on that. Um, because for me, things that help me to heal, um, I like to, I like to pray at night. Uh, I like to read something spiritual. So, uh, you know, yeah, I am a Catholic, but I don't read my Bible. I'm more turned to like the Course in Miracles or something like that. Um, I like to read Rumi at night. So I like to do all these spiritual things to kind of settle my brain at night. And yet I noticed throughout COVID, I wasn't doing any of that. I was falling asleep to the TV or to a podcast. Um, I was, I actually had game apps on my phone, like words with friends. Never was I a app person on my phone, you know, but I think as empaths, we were feeling that collective anxiety that was going throughout the world of like, what is going on? What is happening? What am I supposed to do? Um, and so start to notice if you have addictions to not the, I mean, you might have addictions to the you know, things we tend to associate that word with. But I think we need to expand that to things like our phone or um, or just not being comfortable with silence, you know? I totally agree. Because even though it's more socially accepted, it's very, you know, it's very distracting to your own life. And yeah. it's preventing all of us from really living if we do too much of those socially acceptable things, but not living, you know? not living, just getting through the day. You know, I was walking with my friend and um, we tend to walk about three times a week now. And all this whole year, she kept in last year for a long time, we've been saying, let's just get through this busy spring and then we'll, we'll enjoy our summer. And then it was like, well, let's just get the kids to like through a happy, productive summer and get them ready for school. And then we'll enjoy the fall. And then let's get in, you know, it, so the other day she said, um, she was had a lot of stress at work and she's like, if I can just get through this by June, you know, I'll be fine. And here we are at the end of July. And I said to her, we've been saying that for years. Like, let's just get through this. Like, let's just enjoy it. We're in a very, you know, sometimes in your life are just very, very stressful. You know, like right now I have three teenagers and I'm taking care of two ailing parents. That's very stressful. Um, but before that, there was other stressors. You know what I'm saying? So life, that's life. Life, you're always going to be in a stressful situation. And you've got to, instead of saying, let me get through this, you've got to just enjoy even those challenging times. And I know that sounds Pollyannish and silly. But what I mean is just taking a moment to say, oh my gosh, it, the sky is so blue today. I'm just going to sit out on my deck and just enjoy five minutes of silence. And just see if I can hear the birds or hear that annoying neighbor's dog barking in the distance. But just taking that time for yourself to just press pause is so crucial. And I don't think we um, give ourselves permission enough to do that. Totally. Just being present. Yes. Or even just, um, you know, I write to-do list every night before I go to sleep which is not good if you have anxious, anxious thoughts, because that's what I write my to-do list. And I'm like, holy cow, that's a lot for tomorrow. 
but it helps me to sort myself and sleep. And uh, I was looking at my to-do list the other night and I thought, I've never written a want to-do list. Mm-hmm. You know, like everything, everything feels so like, gotta get this done, gotta email that person, gotta call that, gotta schedule that appointment. Gotta, like, what about the want to's? You know, if you get so caught up in that busyness of life, uh, where's where's the joy? Yeah, you know, where's the joy? I my father has full blown Alzheimer's now. Uh, he's in the one of the second to last stage. He doesn't know, you know, who we are or who he is. And he was a very successful man in advertising. He worked really hard his whole life. That's I was incredibly close to him. But what I really remember is him working all the time. You know, and. I go to visit him every other day at the nursing home and I, and I look at him and I think, gosh, he worked his whole life really since the age of 15, you know, to the age of, um, retirement. And I, and I think, and he he doesn't know it. He doesn't know what he's achieved. He doesn't know what he's done. He doesn't remember the awards he won. He doesn't remember the campaigns he put together. All he knows is, is the moment he's in. And and for the longest time, I, I really resisted that when I would sit with him and I would say, daddy, like, remember when you did this and remember, which is, if you know anyone with Alzheimer's, do not say those two words, <laughs> remember when. <laughs> so it took me a long time to learn all this. Um, but some days I'll go to see him and he's sad and he doesn't know what's happening. And then luckily most days, he's just so happy and in the moment. And it's really changing my perspective on what success is and what happiness is because he just lives literally in the moment. And, like and I in just, the moment of now? Yes, in the moment of right now. Yeah. And so when I get caught up in like, oh, I, you know, college tuition is due next month and I haven't gotten that car inspected and, um, did I get a that guest to schedule on for the podcast? And I haven't written today. When I get all caught up in that, I think, for God's sake, Samantha, in you know, 40 years, you might not know your own name. Like <laughs> it runs in our family. Like, do not worry. Like, just enjoy, just enjoy what you can in this day. Or the one that happens a lot is, you know, when people say, When I retire, when I get to that point, when I retire. And they wait for so long. It could be a job that they really hate. And then they get sick within a year after they retire. Then the question is, why didn't you just live when you could have just lived? Yeah. You know, instead of waiting for this future moment that you can't control. Yeah. That is so heartbreaking. When Terry Gross on NPR was interviewing a filmmaker from India and she asked him, like, what... I guess he was just starting to make films in America or something. And and she said to him, like, what strikes you as so different? Um, do you think about making films in India as a, compared to America? And that's exactly what he said. He said, I've never, he said, I don't know if it's the culture of, of America or just where I am in LA. He said, but everybody talks about when I retire. And he said, you know, I never wanted that. I never wanted a job that I wanted to retire from. I want a job that I never want to retire from. And yeah. and I I just I've always believed that from a from a very young person. Um sometimes my kids my kids are you know I've got a child in college now and she's majoring in English and I'm so excited, you know, because I love English. I taught English for years and 
And I said, so do you think you'll be a teacher? And she said, no. And I said, why? And she goes, well, I don't, she said, no offense, mom, but I don't want to be poor. (laughs) I said, honey, look, I get that. Like teachers, unfortunately, do not make a lot of money. And I knew that when I chose teaching, I knew that I wasn't going to make a lot of money, but I also knew that I was going to do a job that I loved. And I'm proud of that. And I'll never not be proud of that. And if you have a job you love, truly, it's, it's everything. And so I, I feel very lucky because I loved teaching, um, but I also love teaching in this spiritual way um, that I do through classes and on the podcast. And and I think if you find a job that you love, you can happen. It really yes. can happen um, if we break away from those labels and those fears that we have. To um, embrace who we are, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But see, that's something that I think a lot of empaths struggle with. Yeah. I think they don't know a lot of empaths don't know who they are and they don't know what they want. But I think with the blessing, I mean, sometimes blessing of the information out there, it's more easier to learn. It's easier to learn, start with these terminologies, like even like the idea of the empath. And I think that gives us a better idea of who we are if we hear it more. And I think that's the blessing of your show when you teach people that these things exist and we can see how we want to incorporate it into our own lives. Yes. Yeah. I think that is so important. Something that I'll often ask people is um, let's just pretend that fairy godmother is real and she's standing in front of you with her wand and she says, you can have three wishes, any three wishes, what would you have? But the only thing is they have to be just for you. They can't be for your spouse, your partner, your children, your friend, you know, the world, they have to be for you. And uh, I think if people just think about that question, it'll lead them to more of those, who am I, what am I, and what do I really want? Because so many of us get busy doing and being and caring and and fixing and healing and that we're so focused on everyone else, we forget who we are. Totally. And I think sometimes like that thinking about it initially and even that honesty, it's a seed. It's a seed that we can choose to grow. And sometimes honesty is really painful, you know? Yeah. And to see what happens next. I also, that was really interesting, by the way, what you were saying, how it's kind of ironic. The empath is such a giver to other people, but sometimes the empath is the last giver to themselves. Yes. Yeah. And I think that is the hardest lesson for an empath to learn. Um, I know I have been... God has tried to teach me that lesson many times myself. I am really hard. I have a hard time being on the receiving end of help. I really, really do. And it's almost like a like a practice, like a fake it till you make it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I will not ask for help. It it I, it's something I have to work on. And I think a lot of empaths are like that as well. We're much more comfortable. Uh, just I'm not a fixer empath you know, that's not me. Like if, if someone wants to call me and tell me their problems, I'm not going to be like, here's what you should do. I'm more of a holding space empath. So I'll hold your hand. I'll, I'll bring the tissues (laughs) and the ice cream. Um, but if I need someone to bring me tissues and ice cream, it's, that's hard for me to be in that position. I have, I have to work and have had to work really, really hard on being able to say that. Also, I think um, a lot of empaths are what we call mirror empaths, where they will mirror other people around them. So if they are feeling really sad, 
authentically sad, it's their own emotion, and then they go to a friend who's really, really happy, the, the a lot of empaths will just mirror that. And so the friend never sees the sadness in the empath. And really what an empath needs is for someone to see beneath all of the walls we have put up, the masks, and, and to see who we are inside and, and, and what we're carrying. And yet we don't allow a lot of people to see all of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, because also like seeing it and even like understanding it or even understanding the idea of self-compassion, it's a way to even conserve our energy as an empath. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's a, it's a way I think that that we've learned to survive being an empath and feeling all these different feelings and not understanding why we're feeling them or what we're feeling. Um, and I think I think that's really important. And and also to to go back to the the roots of your childhood. Um, empaths really need to work on inner child healing. I think that's I think everyone does, but but empaths in particular. Um, you know, you were talking about seeds. I agree, but I think we also have to go back to the root of some of the things that have already blossomed in us and look at well, why am I this way? You know what. What role did I play in my family of origin? You know, who was I expected to be? What labels were projected onto me? Um, how did I interact, you know, with, within those labels as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult? And then look to your life now and say, are those labels even true? You know, is that even who I am anymore? Um, and as you start to pull away at those um, roots and weeds, You'll, you'll really start to get to know who you are now. I think that's a really interesting point that you make because the word sensitive could seem benign, but maybe it wasn't benign at all. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like you're being like labeled into a box and it's not, it's negative more than positive. Yeah. But it hurts, you know, everything we were feeling is belittled in a way. Yes. Yeah. And especially... If you grew up um, in a in a difficult home, you know, like I love my dad, but he was an alcoholic um, until I was fourteen. He was a nice alcoholic. He would <laughs> he would just go off by himself and drink. Um, that was still very hard because nobody in my family would talk about it. And mm -hmm. even as a little kid, I was always the one to say, "Mom, like, hello, you know, Dad's drinking again." Oh, Samantha, you don't understand. We grew up in the fifties. That's just what we do. And so nobody would talk about it. And it really, it really drove me crazy as a kid. My, my sister, nobody would talk about it. Um, he went to rehab when I was 14 and he was, he's been an AA ever since. And I'm so proud of him for that. But even in his sobriety, nobody talks about it in my family. And my sisters are appalled that I talk about it on the show, just so you know. <laughs> but you know, let's be honest, there's alcoholics that exist everywhere. You know, we just don't talk about it. But what if we talked about it and we can get to the root cause and then the why and then maybe stop? But may I ask you, did your dad's energy feel different when he was drinking to you? Yes, it definitely did. And that's what scared me. So if if you know alcoholics, uh, there's many, many different kinds. And so one of the things my mom said to me when, when he went to rehab, she said, you can never tell anyone, Samantha. She sat me down and she said, you can never tell anyone. Because when people hear alcoholic, they think of a raging lunatic in a tank top. And that's not your father. So don't ever tell anyone. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, 
my dad was, you know, he was in corporate America, so he had a ton of stress. And so what he would do on the weekends is he would just, we had like a refinished basement and he would just take his wine or vodka and go downstairs and drink quietly and would not bother us. And everyone would be upstairs, you know, in the main living area and would just be like, and I was always the one to go down and I would watch, we'd watch James Bond together. We would watch um, The Great Escape all the time, A Bridge Too Far. I'd watch all these old movies with him while he drank and I would hold his hand and be like, you know, dad, do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to do yoga? Do you want to? And he would just like quiet down and get into this little very inner shell of himself. And so he was quiet. So it wasn't like, you know, he was stumbling and tripping and whatnot, but I could feel it. I could feel like it was almost like he was shutting down and shutting everyone out. Mm -hmm. And I think as, as a child, that's hard, but especially as an empathic child, I was always trying to pull him out of that. Mm -hmm. So would he feel less like vibrant to you? Yes. Yes. His energy felt less vibrant, but it also felt muted, I think Mm -hmm. is the best word you know? Interesting. Yeah. Just, just very, very muted and like um, numbed out, I think is, is the best word or phrase. Mm -hmm. Do you think he was an empath or was he overworked? I do. I do. Um, When I was in college and I was trying to pick my major, I was having a really hard time. I always wanted to go to law school and that's what I thought I would do. And I did an internship and was like, this is not for me. I'm just not a competitive person. And I was home uh, for one break and I couldn't sleep. And I, I woke my dad up in the middle of the night and I was like, I have to declare a major, you know, and I don't know what to major in. And he said, what are your favorite subjects? And I said, history and English. And I hate everything else. And he said, then major in that and, and go to bed. So I went to bed. And the next morning we took a walk and he said, Samantha, if I could do my life all over again, I would teach English at a little college in Maine. And I would live in a cabin in the woods surrounded by books. Oh, I know. And it just broke my heart. And he said, um, he said, people like you and I were not meant for corporate America. He said, so just major in what you love and the money will follow. And I'm so glad that he gave me that advice because I think otherwise, you know, I'm a pretty smart girl. I would have just shoved myself through law school, (laughs) you know? And, and knowing me, I would have ended up like, like a family attorney, like a family law attorney. And then I'd be crying over these divorce and custody cases. I'd be a wreck. I'd probably be down in my refinished basement drinking wine. (laughs) And hopefully the midlife crisis would happen. And then you'd wake up. (laughs) You know, I thought it was really interesting when I was reading about empaths, you know, I read that, um, because they're so sensitive to like the physical environment that they're like prone to like health problems. I mean, they're prone to certain health issues like autoimmune disease and fibromyalgia. I think that's really interesting because the way I think of autoimmune disease, it's kind of like, it's basically your body reacting to your own cells. Like it's like your, your own self is turning against you, your antibodies. And it's kind of like, you know, if, if there's like a fire around us, like in our environment, it's like our bodies internalize that and our own antibodies react against our own body. It's very like interesting to me. Yeah, that is interesting. And I like the way you put it. I have, I haven't ever thought of it that way. That's, I'm going to have to think about that. That's fascinating. The way I've looked at it. Okay. So I don't have any of those, um, thank God issues, but I have had other health issues. I dealt with shingles in my 30s and breast cancer in my late 30s. Um, 
but other than that, like, you know, not good. I'm super healthy. I never get like colds or flus or anything like that. But I have read that for many empaths, those autoimmune things are super common. What I think it is, is that the empath doesn't know how to raise his or her hand and say, I need help. I need attention. I need healing. And so I think the body is manifesting those quiet cries for help. And, you know, I feel really stupid saying this to someone of your (laughs) medical background. (laughs) But, you know, if you have you read Dr. Bernie Siegel's Love Medicine and Miracles? Yes. Okay. Because of your show, you recommended it. That makes me happy. I, that book just helped me so much. And, and it was so empowering to hear a doctor say, yes, there is, you know, a, um, what is it that Carolyn May says? You wear your biography in your biology, you know? And I felt like that book really showed that um, if no one's heard of it, he said that if anyone with cancer comes to him, he always says to them, what was your trauma five years ago? And I have taken that question to other people that I know who have been dealing with those diagnoses and there's always a significant trauma. So I think what happens is that the body is always, it's our vehicle through life and it's always trying to protect us and keep us safe. And sometimes the way it keeps us safe, like 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 a car emitting an airbag to keep you safe in an accident, sometimes that airbag causes just as much damage, you know, as the, as the impact. Um, I think it's the same thing. I think that the body like inflames with this airbag of like, this is an impact to our emotions. We need help. And I think that's what's the root cause behind a lot of those um, underlying health issues. I think definitely like things to be aware of, you know, like sickness doesn't have to always happen if we're aware of what's happening in our lives, if we acknowledge it, if we address it. But I think when we don't, when we put it underneath the rug and stuff, yeah, unfortunately, we really take it on. And if you that that metaphor, the analogy of the um, magic eraser, if you keep on using something like the magic eraser, it really does dwindle. And if you're left with nothing and you're still walking through life, being depleted is not a good thing when life takes so much energy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we have to be so focused on doing things that that rebuild ourselves and call the pieces of ourselves back. And now, to me, I think that has to be a body-mind-spirit approach. I don't think meditation is enough. Do you know what I mean? I don't think um, praying is enough. I think it has to be all three. I think you've got to work on your mind, meaning like journal, talk therapy, um, you know, really going through the emotions and the feelings and allowing yourself to feel it all. Um, We've got to work on our spirit through prayer and meditation. But I think we also have to work on our body and get outside and move our body and get into nature and, you know, eat healthy foods and and drink healthy things in moderation. You know, I'm not saying, God knows, I, like I said, I love my ice cream. It's like the multiple modalities, the interplay. It's like there's so many people who go to a doctor's office and, you know, they eat really, really well. But then you look at their face and you're like, what the hell is going on in your life? Like if you're eating really, really well, that doesn't just dictate health. It's all the other stuff, too, that you're carrying. Like if you're carrying so much 
and you can barely walk through life, but you're eating well, then that doesn't, it's almost negated, you know? Yeah. It's like yeah. the multiple aspects of life that I think that we're meant to look at for the, for our ultimate health and happiness. Yeah. And if you're really in tune with yourself, you'll start to, you'll start to follow those signs, you know, like, um, if I'm not following, if I'm not paying attention to the little nudges I'm getting the, Hey, slow down, take care of yourself. I'll pull a muscle in my neck or I'll get a lower back pain, like something. It's always muscle pain for me, but everyone has their own little clue from the universe of, Hey, Michelle, you got to slow down. You got to take care of yourself. For me, it's always like, like neck or back pain. So uh, I'm on a first name basis with, with my massage therapist <laughs> and I keep all of that in check as much as possible. And what I do though, is like, if that does flare up, I know like, oh, I've got to call Lindsay and get my massage scheduled. But I also know I got to hit the gym a little bit harder. And I know, all right, if it's in my neck, all right, who's being a pain in my neck? Like, who do I need? Who do I need to talk this through with? You know, or if it's lower back pain, to me, that's root chakra. So what money issue am I worried about? What household project am I putting off that I don't want to think about? You know, and I try to pinpoint the area. Um, if your knee is bothering you, you know, who, where in your life are you not bending or being flexible? And so I try to listen to my body and ask, like, what is it trying to tell me? Instead of shrugging it off. <laughs> yeah, or, or judging myself. Or judging myself. I think a lot of people who have health issues judge themselves um, way too harshly. You know, um, like, like I was saying how I try to read A Course in Miracles every night. I was just reading this. It's, I was reading the teacher's manual the other night. And in there it says, um, if you never judged others or yourself, the human body would never experience fatigue. Interesting. Now, I, I mean, I'm not quoting verbatim, but that's how I, you know, that's what it said. And I, I underlined that and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm pretty good about not judging others. I mean, I'm not perfect about it, but I, I'm not, I'm very open. You know, you do you, um, I'm going to do me, you know, um, what's that? There's a, there's a Southern phrase, what you eat, don't make me fat. You know, so I'm not going to judge other people, but I'm really good at judging myself, you know, and, and I, I can really go through the ringer of, man, you did not get enough done today. Or I have a listener who sent me two beautiful crystals. Uh, three weeks ago, have I written the thank you card? No, I have not. And I will lay in bed at night going, oh my God, you still have not mailed that card to Matt. And I get so mad at myself for the littlest things and the biggest things. And so um, I think we do that with health too. You know, when I was going through my breast cancer diagnosis as a spiritual person, an empath and a healer, there was a bit of shame there. Like, how could I have manifested this? I feel like I'm walking the walk and talking the talk. So how could I have manifested this? You know, and I was denying the fact that my sister had breast cancer and the same exact breast this in her thirties as well, that there was this family component. I was denying all of that and I was blaming myself. Oh, well, breast cancer. Okay. That's mother love. So you still have not worked on your issues with your mom. Like you need to get to this and, oh, shut up. You know, it's exciting. <laughs> We've got to be kinder to ourselves. Yeah, I think something that was really hard for me being aware of being aware of my own hypocrisy, you know, like do what I've done for others, but then secretly when you're like the biggest dickhead in your life, like 
that's hard or shutting down like the inner voice. Do you wonder if empaths have like a stronger inner voice than others? Like, do we have the bigger asshole inside of us? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That's really interesting. I know I've known a lot of narcissists and, uh, I I think, I don't know. I'd love to know what their voice is. I think their voice is like, you're amazing. Um, But I never thought about that question. That's a really, really good question. Given, okay, so what I do, when I do readings, I feel like people, people show me a part of themselves that they don't show the average person, you know, and in a way, I kind of feel like a, like a priest or a therapist. Sometimes it's like you, you have this privilege of seeing people's true selves and so I think everybody has that loud voice in their head I don't think it's just empaths but I I could be wrong Um, but I have a lot of non-empathic friends and we all talk pretty honestly and we're all really mean to ourselves I, I think it's I think it's the biggest job that we all have to work on you know no matter what label you want to slap on yourself I think we've we you know we really need to I used, when I was a teenager, you know how people always ask questions like if you could have any superpower, if you could have one wish granted. When I was a teenager and people would ask me if you could have any wish, uh, what would you wish? I would always say I wish that when two people had sex, it was 50/50 chance that the man would get pregnant or the woman would get pregnant. <laughs> that makes sense to me. <laughs> I thought I was so clever because I thought that would change the whole world. If you think about it, it really would change so much. Now I changed my wish. And if I could be granted a wish, my wish would be that everybody, even the cruelest, meanest people you can think of, would love themselves unconditionally. That, I think, would truly change the world. Yeah. Because maybe war wouldn't happen if everyone loved themselves. Like We wouldn't need war. We wouldn't need to be competing with others. We wouldn't need to be proving ourselves to others. Um, I wouldn't be sitting here worrying about how shitty my lighting is in this interview. (laughs) (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) But, you know, like, it's true. Like, I think with that inner voice, you know, I'm going through life changes and I'm aware of my inner voice. Like before I wasn't, I thought that was the voice, you know, but being aware of your inner inner voice, there's things that you can tell yourself. And sometimes to shut that inner voice down, like this is what I say to my inner toddler, calm the fuck down, yo. And then, you know, like, honestly, it's like a moment where I like think about where I am if I tell myself to calm the fuck down. (laughs) Yes, that is a great, I love that mantra. I might, I might take that. Um, one thing that helped me and, and I still work on it was trying to learn to accept compliments. You know, like I have a really hard time when people are like, oh, your hair looks great today. I love your outfit. It's always like, oh, I got this on sale or you know, whatever. We just. Mm. Um, so I've tried really hard to work on saying, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And just kind of really absorbing um, the energy of that compliment rather than resisting it and, and pushing it away. That's helped me a lot. Yeah. That's a really good point that you bring up because there's negative bias of the brain. And if our brains like have a propensity for negativeness, negativity, and we're in that negativity for so long, I was just talking about this with my husband this morning. It's like we have to give that equal time to a positive thought, you know, that equal respect almost to absorb it when our brains love more negative stuff. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, because the ego is always trying to protect us, and so it's going to focus on the negative stuff to keep us going and safe, and none of that's really, really helpful. Um, the other thing that that helps me a lot with that is uh, when I when I when I pray, I thank God for all the good things in my life. You know, that's something I always try to do because I don't want to always just be that girl who's like, "Hey, God, can you give me this and give me that?" <laughs> so I'm always trying to like say thank you so much for that moment I had with, with my teenager in the car today where we had a great chat or, you know, um, thank you. Just, just thank you. And I'll, I'll list, you know, I'm not like a gratitude journal person. I used to be, I tried it, but I, I'm not good with the consistency of writing it down all the time. Um, so now I just say it in my prayers at night and I go through what I'm grateful for. And, and I just thank God, uh, for those things. And sometimes just reminding myself that I'm not in control, you know, how does that help you, by the way? How does that help you when you say what you're thankful for? Like, what does that do for you? Like every night when you say that? So first of all, there are some nights where I'm like, I'm so grateful that I'm laying in this bed and everything is done from this crap day. <laughs> all I have to do is sit here and talk to you. Um, so sometimes I say that when I pray, but it helps to reset my brain to remind myself that there's so much to be grateful for in every single day, you know, even in, even in the worst of the worst days, even, even in those days, you know, like I went to see um, my dad on Saturday at the nursing home and he was in a bad mood and he pushed me away and he said, I don't know who you are, get away. And I walked out and there's this lovely activities director, Shelby, and she just hugged me. She just stood with me and hugged me as I cried and cried and cried. I barely know this woman. And I just I just sat there and let her hug me and, and cried it all out. And when I went to bed that night, I said to God, like, thank you for that moment. Thank you for putting Shelby in my path. And then I went back to see my dad the next day. And um, he said, hi, and gave me a hug. And we danced. And he twirled me. It's just it's so crazy, you know, and I think that if I, if I hadn't had that moment of releasing that sadness in that moment on Saturday and then thanking God for it. And I don't, I don't know if I would have had that special dancing moment with my dad the next day. So I, I just think it really does shift everything, everything. I agree. Like changing your perspective can really change, can be really profound. Yes. Yeah, it really is. And, and it's, it's more than, to me, it's so much more than write down three things you're grateful for every day. It's so much more than that. It's um, it's it's really just about not getting caught up in in that whole rat race of of life and doing and going and just sitting in this moment and thinking, you know, I'm just really grateful. And I and I'll switch my gratitude in different ways. You know, like um, after I had children, I. I did fake this until I made it, but I, I would sit there and I would say, I love my stomach. And if you've had three children right after, that's hard to say for many, many months until you really get to the gym, but I would do it. I would say, I, I love my stomach. Um, I love my womb. I love my thighs. And I, you know, you have to, you have to, whatever it is that you're working on. I think if you focus gratitude on that, so if it's body stuff, be grateful for your body, be grateful that, you know, that your legs move, that, that your, that your skin is, you know, protecting your muscles and your tissues. You know, if, if you're, that your heart is beating, 
if you're working on uh, mental issues, you know, be grateful that you have a mind, that you have a beautiful brain, that you can think and imagine, read and create. And if you're working on spiritual stuff, again, be grateful for the spiritual things in each day. But um, if you're if you're looking for that, you're going to find it. I am going to stroke my panis today and be like, I love you, belly fat. <laughs> May I ask you, Samantha? Yeah. Lisa Campion said this on a, um, on a prior interview, but she was saying how empaths can be energy vampires when they don't take care of themselves. Do you find that to be true? Yes. Yes, I do. And I don't think that um, the aware empath is an energy empath, right? Because like, if I'm, if I'm sitting and talking to someone, I'm always thinking like that the, it's a energy is a two-way street, you know? So I'm not going to monopolize the conversation, you know, but it, but an unaware empath, they're not aware. I don't think that they can take energy as much as they can give energy. And so when they get into that stressed out, you know, swirl of tornado of emotions, they they can they can suck energy from other people without even realizing it, um, and it kind of borders on the the martyred narcissist, the, the victimization thing. I've, I've seen that with a lot of empaths. You can see people who will uh, volunteer and and show up and be there for everyone, and yet they usually have one or two people in their life that they'll just constantly pull from. We as empaths have to be aware of that, you know, like. I have a friend, um, and I'd say seven out of the 10 times she calls me, I'll go, hello. And she'll go, I just need a vent. Do you have 10 minutes? And I'm like, it's so abrasive, you know? And, and I say, oh, sure. And, and then she'll just complain about her day for, for 10 minutes. And then when she's done, she'll say, okay, how are you? Now, is that an energy vampire? I don't think so, you know? But I think that's just someone in a moment who needs a little bit of my energy to just release from that day. Um, so I think we can all have tendencies to be an energy vampire, but a, but a true energy vampire is someone who is completely unaware that they're doing it or worse, they're totally aware and they, and they do it anyway. And that's why mm-hmm. I think it verges on narcissism. So as an empath, when your friend's kind of like calling you for like a friend moment and dumping on you, how do you feel or what do you do to protect yourself then? I, what I do is I put up my, my psychic boundaries. So I believe strongly that if you just visualize a field around yourself of light, um, that you will protect yourself from energy coming at you. And then to activate that shield. So I do this in the morning and then I do it at night before I go to bed. I visualize just a shield of light around me. I visualize a dog running at it and bouncing off. I visualize an arrow coming out of and bouncing off. Um, but when friends call me with that panicky, I've got to dump on you energy, I visualize a mirror around myself, like just a disco ball, so that it just reflects back to them. So you don't feel it and you don't absorb it. Yeah, yeah. And then when I'm done, kind of just, you know, shields up is what my little say, thing I say to, you know, and I just visualize this mirror. Um, then I will put pink cotton candy around her to just kind of soften her energy and just help her remember that everything's okay. It's a bad day, not a bad life. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Thank you so much, Samantha. This was a, such a fun conversation. You're one of my heroes. Thank you. 
See you next time on another edition of Lost or Found. Please continue subscribing and tell your friends. And follow us, Lost or Found Podcast, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.